Hello and welcome to The Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we continue in the epilogue for Dearest Ones, the letters that the Silver King wrote to his family throughout the war. It's February of 1945. The Silver King is writing like a veteran now, and he's reflecting on his time in Europe and the realization that he's been flying for real for three months. The Silver King's February, which will be quite full, begins on an optimistic note as he writes to his family on February 1st of 1945. Dearest ones, Last night was a blank, but tonight brought me what I was looking for, the very sweet letter of yours of January 15th. This is the most up-to-date letter so far, and it's swell receiving all the news. Undoubtedly, a plane smashed through the bad weather, for which I'm thankful. This letter from home, in a remarkable quick turn of two weeks, has Stanley thinking good thoughts, while also being wistful about home. His folks are describing the good times that they're having. And Stanley, in turn, is writing that it seems so long ago that they were all together, and that he's having a hard time remembering what that was like. And it feels to him as though he's been in France in the army for ages. But the king's longing for home is countered on information that he's getting about Margie and Leona and that everything is going well and they're feeling good. And in current events from Europe, the king writes that, well, the news is still looking good, thank God. At this writing, the Russians are 40 miles from Berlin. With a little luck, they should be there in a week or less. And then things will begin popping and should come to a head before very long. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for old Joe Stalin and wish him Godspeed. Stanley's unit is getting good information about the Russian front. And of course, he and his guys must have been talking about the fact that things changed when the Germans decided to open that second front in an invasion of Russia. And now, as the tide is turning and the Russians are moving to Berlin, it will be ironic for us as we follow the king through February and March that these will be his busiest months in the air as the Allies work to end the war in Europe. Stanley's February 3rd letter describes that the weather has changed for the better. The sun was shining and it was getting warmer and brighter like a spring day. The snow has melted and the ground is a sea of mud. It's funny how each year during spring, my mind wanders back to the days I was at school. That was four years ago, and yet it seems only like yesterday. I often wonder what I would be doing now 
if the war hadn't come. One thing for sure, it didn't deter my road to success, but more or less delayed the embarkation. I can only hope that by this time next year, I'll be well down that road. With the pretty weather, I took a long walk today. I enjoyed it, but would have more if I had been home. Now it's Saturday night, and I wonder whose house is having the game. Anyhow, I hope you're enjoying yourself and winning lots of money. Please keep well and keep writing. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. From the King's letters, it's clear that February is a month where the mail is moving well, and that has kept his mother particularly comfortable about what the news is. And he acknowledges that when, in a February 4th letter, he says, Thanks so much for the five letters I received tonight. Your letters are dated from Jan 7 to Jan 12th and then it jumps to one of January 20th. And in this last one, you mention receiving nine letters from me in one week. Stanley's day-to-day includes this housekeeping note as he writes, This afternoon we had spring cleaning in the barracks. Some colonel from the higher brackets is expected tomorrow to inspect us. I never thought the army would take time to make an inspection, even in a combat area. Thank God some of us are fighting the war and not just making a nuisance of ourselves instead. The king writes more about his housekeeping as he describes that yesterday, while straightening my clothes, I discovered evidence of mice having made nests in them. They had succeeded eating a large hole out of the lining of my trench coat and also a hole in the bathrobe you had sent me. It made me sick to find my clothes in such a disgusting manner. I had no idea we were living in such adverse conditions. Thank God they didn't do any more damage, as if that wasn't sufficient to make me angry no end. We haven't any traps to do away with the menace, but I have my pistol, and I'll blow them to hell if I can find them. Stanley reports an upgrade in his sleeping materials with the arrival of a sleeping bag, which he believes will keep him warmer, and of course, he's commenting as well on the fact that he should have had it much earlier because now the weather is turning warm. He also writes, I can't resist telling you this, for I'm sure it will give you a laugh. Some of the fellows have brought women back from Paris to be their mistresses in a nearby town. The stories they tell are extremely funny, but I'm afraid they wouldn't appear as such on paper. I'm not one of the fellows, as I haven't the money to afford such luxury which I suppose is just as well. I hope you're well and not too lonesome. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. So as the Silver King relates, it's been a funny, busy, and entertaining week.
he's kept his pistol at the ready and laments the fact that he'll have to replace some of the items in his wardrobe. And this is difficult for a man who dresses well and likes to look crisp. And as for having a mistress nearby from Paris, it doesn't really suit the king for how he perceives his place in the world and where women might fit in what the war means. The Silver King's second February week began with some difficult news that he shared with his family. Stanley had run into his good friend Arthur Phillips when, by coincidence, they had a few hours off and met each other in town. The king wrote that it was really swell seeing him again, but I hardly knew him as he had changed so much. He is definitely a changed person. Two years over here seems to have gotten the best of him. His whole attitude towards life in general is terrible. His morale is at rock bottom. Of course, all this is between us. Don't dare utter one word to anybody about him, and I mean no one. I'm supposed to meet him next week, and will try to change him if I possibly can. For the king, this description of Arthur Phillips is difficult. They're good friends. They've seen each other during the war. They're coming of age as veterans, and the war has affected each of them in different ways. The king, of course, isn't immune of the personal struggles to be a warrior, and to do his job. But it's also a challenge for him to see a good friend, a man suffer, a man change too much during the course of time in Europe. And Stanley, ever the compassionate person, as a young and up-and-coming man, will do his best to see if he can steer Arthur away from the course he's on to something better. To counter the darkness, the king can relate that he's also had time to socialize and got lucky at a squadron dance when he ran into some American nurses who had come in from a nearby hospital unit. As he writes, you have no idea how good they look to me. Outside of the two Red Cross workers on the base, they were the first I had talked to since leaving the States. Believe me, there is nothing like a good American gal. A few of them were fairly nice-looking, too. One in particular was very cute. Talking and dancing with her was a real pleasure, so much so that I have a date with her next week. I have a feeling that life here will undergo a radical change soon. Stanley continues by saying, I have also received a Xmas package from Sylvia, which I want to acknowledge. I was sorry to learn of Sam Phillips's and Alan Sachs's deaths. Arthur told me of it, and then I received the serviceman. I definitely did not approve of the statement concerning me in it. It would have been all right to say I was in the European theater 
of operations, but that's all. Please, as a favor to me in the future, keep my name out of it. I hope you're well and not too lonesome. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. Stanley, in reviewing issues of Serviceman, the Temple Bulletin, during the war, knows that his mother has been feeding the rabbi news of her son. And the king, of course, true to form, really wants no part of any publicity about his war. He's doing his job like other men, hoping that the war will be over soon and that he, of course, will live through the rest of it and make it home. And we know as faithful followers of the king that this commentary about servicemen is a foreshadowing of what's ahead for the king in his constant conflict with his mother about the war and his role in it. Stanley writes to his family on February 11, 1945. Dearest ones, t'was indeed grand receiving two letters and two packages from you tonight. The mail is fairly recent, which makes it all the better. They are dated Jan 2-2 and 2-6. I'm glad you have finally received my letter of Paris. I had forgotten I sent it to Chicago. There isn't much I could tell you in a letter. I'm sure I will be able to do better when I can tell you all about it. Stanley writes in response to his mother's concern about his idea regarding a regular army job by saying, I'm sorry you took the attitude you did about my staying in the army. I had thought it was a pretty good idea. However, I'm sure we'll be able to discuss it before I'm eligible for a discharge. The packages were more than welcome. Now I remember your mentioning them. One contained the cigarettes and nuts Dad sent, and the other had soap and cookies you sent. I'll surely have no need for cigarettes or soap for a long time to come. I do hope the situation is better there now that you are able to get ample. Our rations increased to seven packs last week. The cookies are delicious, especially the brownies. As a request, please send me some brownies and food. You've been so sweet about sending packages. I hate to keep asking for more, but they are so good. I can't resist it. Thanks a million. I do appreciate it. My responsibility has suddenly increased sixfold. I've become lead bombardier in a six-ship flight. I was depending on someone else before, but now the tables are turned, and I have five other ships depending on me. This should make me gooey-headed in no time at all, and I have nine. And by the way, I get an additional one-quarter mission for each mission I fly as lead. Please keep well and keep writing. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. As we know from following the king in his war writing, his ability to change subjects, to be facile on other things over just a few pages, 
remains fascinating. And in this case, he's chatting with his mother about a regular army job, acknowledging her disdain for that, while converting easily to a thank you for important things on the day-to-day list. Cigarettes, nuts, candy, brownies, and soap. And he always amazed me throughout his letters with this ability to move on. And then finally to say, oh, by the way, my job is improving. I'm getting more responsibility. I'm rising in the ranks as I do my job. As the Silver King rose in his war and did his job so well, I, of course, have tried to do my job in sharing with you his war. With each letter over the years, he became a more remarkable young man. The depth of his writing, the language, the ease of his ability to cover so much of the European and American landscape remains to this day such a fascinating piece of a man who was my father. And as we share in The Silver King's Rise, we have reached the end of this episode in the epilogue for Dearest Ones, the letters that the Silver King wrote to his family throughout the war. And this is part 28. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.